The reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 25. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. together. Living God, we thank you for your work that is so, so powerful. And we pray this morning that as we look at this story together, that it would encourage us in our walk with you, that it would challenge us, and that you'd speak to each one of us in this place. Amen. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I know you don't really get a choice in it, uh, but it is really lovely to be with you uh, this morning and to bring greetings from, I think it's 1.2 kilometers because I run it um, from here to St. Melitus. Uh, so greetings from uh, your brothers and sisters down the road. Uh, I wonder if I were to ask you this morning how hopeful you feel as you sit in this place, what you would say. How hopeful do you feel about the future? Uh, maybe for your own life, or for your family, for your friends, uh, for this community, for this church, for this world. Uh, maybe you'd say, yeah, I'm full of hope, the future is bright, everything's going to be amazing. Uh, maybe on the other hand, you would be like, I don't really know where things are going to go right now. Uh, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Um, the thing is, as human beings, we, we kind of feed on hope. We all need hope. It's like oxygen. Uh, without hope of a better future, we can very quickly become despondent. Uh, research uh, that psychologists have done shows that, that hope can help us to manage stress and anxiety. It can help us to cope with adversity. Um, and it contributes to our well-being, and it motivates us. It motivates us towards positive action. Uh, when I was uh, 10, 
Uh, I was desperately hoping for one of these. If we can have the picture on the screen, Steve. Um, this was my hope. This, uh, if you don't know what this is, this is a Commodore 64. Uh, it's a computer from the 80s. And I had wanted one of these for ages and ages, uh, basically because you could play games on it. Um, and um, yeah, all my friends had kind of very fancy game systems. We didn't have a lot of money. But this is what I wanted. This is what my hope was in. And, and this is what I wanted for Christmas. This was my hope for Christmas. And I had bugged my mum and dad for ages. Um, I'd written uh, a letter to Father Christmas. I was kind of hedging my, my bets there. Um, and um, I didn't really mind where it came from. The, and this motivated me. You know, I, I, I set out to be the best possible son. I, I, I cleaned my room. I even offered to do the hoovering elsewhere in the house. Um, I did all my homework. Um, all with the aim of coming down on Christmas morning and finding this uh, under the Christmas tree. So I went to bed that night, that Christmas Eve, hoping, dreaming of receiving it. I came downstairs. And you'll be pleased to know, there it was, all boxed up, looking absolutely beautiful. And I was over the moon, and I got it out, I got it out of the box, and and I was so, so excited. Um, But the thing is, and this might take some explaining if you're under maybe 25 in this uh, this room, um, to play games on it, you had to load up um, games using one of these. Can we have the next picture, please? This is a tape deck. And on it, you play these things called tapes, okay? Uh, Tapes, if you don't know, they're sort of little plastic boxes, little wheels inside, and tape runs around them. Um, This is what this computer ran on. This is really, we're talking about the dark ages here. Um, um, But this taping, what you would do to play this game, okay, you you put the computer on, you you would press play on the tape, and you'd wait for about 20 minutes for the game to load up. Okay, so you'd wait 20 minutes, and then at the end of it, hopefully you'd get your game, and it'd be really fun to do. Um, seems very ridiculous now when you can kind of get your phone out and talk to someone else on the side of the road, but uh, I'm so to the world, rather. Uh, but that's how it worked. So I sat down to play on that Christmas morning, but after a while, I realized there was a bit of a problem. Um, see, what's supposed to happen is after 20 minutes, you get to play your game. The thing is, this was a second-hand Commodore 64. And, and what had happened is that some of the tapes didn't work quite as well as they should have done. So what would happen occasionally is you'd wait 20 minutes, you know, sitting there, passing the time, and then no game would appear. And you'd be like, what is this? I've just, and then you'd repeat the process. You'd wait another 20 minutes, no game would appear. So I spent a fair bit of time that, that Christmas morning waiting, hoping that my game would load up, only to be disappointed. Why did I tell you that story this morning? What we place our hope in really matters. Where we place our hope really matters. I wonder what you're hoping for this morning. Maybe you're hoping for the right exam results, uh, for the right person to come along. Maybe you're hoping for an end to the the battle with mental health or to, to overcome that habit that no one else knows about other than you. Maybe hoping for a job or, you know, to be able to move a uh, house. Maybe you're just waiting, hoping for your team to win. Uh, hoping for a good pension. Maybe for a more just society or for people to wake up to climate change and racial injustice or an end to the war in Ukraine. We'll all carry hopes, won't we, this morning? 
Yet time and time again, we all know the experience of life is, much like my Commodore 64, we wait and we wait and we wait. And what we hope for doesn't quite seem to get delivered. Is there anywhere we can turn to? Is there anyone we can turn to who will not disappoint? And that brings us to our Bible reading. Because here in a story on the Emmaus Road, we have two people whose hopes have been dashed. Two people who were expectant about the future, but who are now are downcast. Who are now looking at the future and thinking, this is shaky. We don't know where life is going to go. To give you a bit of context to what's happened, for hundreds of years, the Israelites had had a hope. They'd been in slavery, effectively, in exile. The Romans are in charge of Israel, but they're just the latest in a long series of people, of of oppressors occupying their country for hundreds of years now. And their hope had been, for a long time, that a Messiah would come along and liberate them. Chuck out the Romans. And this hope was based upon the the prophecies of Isaiah, uh, and what we read in the Old Testament, that a Messiah would come, who would bring God's kingdom. And what happened is that Jesus Jesus of Nazareth had come along. And he was actually the latest in quite a a line of people who'd claimed to be the Messiah, that person that they were hoping for. But Jesus was different. Things looked different. He was seeing and doing things that were different. And it looked like he was the one. A flame was starting to burn in their hearts. Could this be it? Could this be the moment when we throw out these Romans, God's kingdom comes, and we're set free? But two days before this story that we just had read by Nina, as we know, Jesus is executed on the cross. And here's the thing. Everybody knew this. Messiahs don't die. If you are going to liberate someone, if you're going to set them free, dying is not part of that plan. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs are victorious. And so two days have now passed since Jesus' death. And for these two disciples of Jesus on this Emmaus road, hope has been buried in that tomb. They are hopeless. We read their their faces are downcast. Um, I don't know if you are England football fans, any of you. Um, It's a bit like last summer. If you can take yourself back to June, July of last year. England were doing really well in the the, um, Euros. Hope was starting to rise. Could this be the moment? They got to the final. This is it. We're going to win. And then it all went wrong. And you just feel the deflation at that moment. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus are deflated. Like a balloon that's lost all its air. And yet this story, which begins with their faces downcast, they literally cannot see what is in front of them, literally and metaphorically. They, they don't recognize Jesus as we come on to. Yeah, that flame that burns so bright has been extinguished. The story starts there, but it doesn't end there. There's an incredible transformation. We didn't quite have it read for us But at the end of the story, these two disciples end up with their eyes wide open, 
hearts burning within. The future which seems so bleak is suddenly full of possibility and potential. How does that happen? Let's just join them, as it were, on, on the road to Emmaus. Let's join them in that walk. And I just want to make a few observations about what's going on here. Because I believe what happens for those two disciples on the road to Emmaus can happen for us here in St. John some 2,000 years later. The disciples are walking along. Emmaus is about seven, <coughs> about seven miles away from Jerusalem. They're walking away, trying to process all that's happening. You know, you, I don't know if any of you went for walks during lockdown. I remember going for walks, trying to just work out what is going on in the world right now. I think they're doing something similar, just, you know, chatting back and forth. We thought that this was going to be the one, but he's not. Like, what does it all mean? They're processing pain and disappointment. And enter Jesus. Because this story of dashed hopes is about to be rewritten. How does that hope restored? Just let me make a few observations. Firstly, it's restored by Jesus coming to them. The thing is, their disappointment, their almost lack of faith doesn't put Jesus off. And that might sound like a really obvious thing to say, but, but I think it tells us that our faith does not need to be perfect for us to know the presence of Jesus. We don't need to have it all together. We don't need to have all the answers for Jesus to come to us. And it tells us also that he cares. He cares about their disappointment. He cares about their dashed dreams. He chooses to come to them. And initially, I don't know if you notice, they don't actually recognize him. And this is quite a common theme in the resurrection stories, that the people who knew Jesus really well don't seem to recognize him. And you might think, well, why is that? I mean, it could be because grief does funny things to us. But actually, I think that's probably quite unlikely, given the number of people this happens to. There seems to be something about Jesus' body, which is the same but different. Because again and again, people who knew him really well don't recognize him. Jesus comes to them, and as he so often does, he asks a question. He loves to ask questions. Do you notice that about Jesus? Again and again throughout his ministry, he loves to ask questions. He loves to help us to work things out for ourselves. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And we read, they stood still, their faces downcast. Their faces reflecting how they feel inside. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Notice his reply. I, I like to imagine Jesus at this moment struggling to keep a straight face, he says this, what things? Tell me, what things have happened? This is Jesus talking. Anyway, um, they go on to explain. They say to me, well, this, this Jesus, he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. But he was crucified. But he was crucified. So that's it. They go on. We had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped, but those hopes have been dashed. And there's a sense that, you know, it's all over. We put our trust in the wrong person. It's all gone wrong. 
And they go on to tell a strange story about stories that have emerged even that morning about actually resurrection happening. And you, but you get the sense they don't really believe it. But let me just make a second observation. Jesus restores their hope by helping them to see a different story. See, they were interpreting the events in one way. But Jesus helps them to interpret what has happened in a very different way, different way, through a different lens. He restores their hope by restoring, just made that word up, I think, restoring what has happened. He says to them in verse 5, he says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Sorry, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And begin with Moses and all the prophets, he explains them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. You see, they had thought that God's plan was to redeem them from suffering. But what they had missed is that God was going to redeem them, redeem them through suffering, through the cross. And he takes them through the story of God, through the scriptures, to show them that actually what they thought was a defeat was actually a victory. And that all that happened was part of God's promise and plan. They then approach the village, and we didn't have this in our reading, but what happens is they sit down for a meal. They ask Jesus, first of all, to stay with them. They sit down for a meal, and I think the third way that Jesus restores hope is he does, <coughs> does it in that moment by reminding them of who he is and what he's done. Because what happens is that Jesus, we read, takes bread... He breaks it and he gives them, gives it to them. Now this has happened at two other points in Jesus' ministry. Exact same words, exact same actions. He does it when he feeds the 5,000. He takes bread, breaks it and he gives it. And it happens again at the Last Supper. He takes bread, um, uh, breaks it and gives it. So in that moment, it's like something goes on. And you can almost, like, as you read the story, they, the cogs are kind of starting to whir a little bit. Hang on a minute. We've seen this before. And that Jesus, that, that was pretty amazing what he did when he fed the 5,000. Like, if he could do that, then... And then he said something at the Last Supper about dying, but then rising. And it's like in that moment, their eyes are open. They realize who is in front of me. And what actually happens as you read on is that that Jesus disappears. But they run. They are so excited. Because they realize that Jesus is alive. Is resurrected. The reversal is complete. The presence of the living Lord Jesus brings fresh hope. The future which seems so bleak is suddenly full of possibility again. What does that mean for us today as we sit here in this church? I guess my very simple message is this. Friends, we can have hope. We can have hope. No matter how uncertain the future might seem, how shaky the ground beneath our feet, We can have hope for our own challenges, hope for our friends, for our family, hope for this church, for this community, and for this world. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then anything is possible. 
anything is possible. There is no such thing as a lost cause. If Jesus is involved, anyone can be healed. Any situation can be restored. Anything can be transformed. Nothing is impossible because Jesus rose from the dead. Turn your eyes and look to Jesus and you will find hope. Hope based on the past, experience in the present, and hope which shapes the future. Our hope is based on the past. It's on the rock-solid foundation of what Jesus has done. His death and his resurrection. If Jesus overcame the grave, anything is possible. So here's the invitation to us. Make what we know about Jesus greater than what we don't know about the future. Make what we know about Jesus greater than what we don't know about the future. The future is uncertain, yes. But what God has done in Jesus is an anchor, a foundation that we can base our hope upon. But it's not just based upon the past. We can experience this hope in the present. See, Jesus is not just a historical figure. He is the one who comes alongside us in our darkest, most hopeless moments and is with us, showing his compassion and his kindness. See, the disciples thought he was absent as they walked along the roads, but actually he was there all along. And he is the God who comes alongside us, who walks alongside us, and he is holding on to you today, friends. Whatever you face, whatever life is like, he is holding on to you. You are not walking alone. You know, I've known that in my own life. I shared some of my story very briefly earlier. But in my mid-20s, um, I had a real battle of mental health um, and a real period of depression. And the only way I can describe to you, um, some of you may know this feeling, is that I would wake up in the morning and straight away wish that I was asleep again. Just to stop the, the overwhelming sense of darkness and worry and fear and anxiety overwhelming me. In the midst of this period, um, I found myself one day um, in Richmond Park, not far away. And um, I spent much of the, the previous month or so just feeling like life was really pointless. That I was worthless, that I, nothing was ever going to happen for me in life. That I was just a waste of space. And I'd near enough kind of given up on God, I think, if I'm honest. Uh, and I, for some reason, I can just remember going to Richmond Park, and there's a place called Hemp Ponds, which is in the middle, and just pouring my heart out to God. I, I was like, God, I don't know if I believe in you or not, but this is what's going on. This is where I am. And this doesn't happen very often in my life. But just in that moment, having a, a, a sense of a whisper, the whisper of God, just saying, you need to trust me to lead you through this. And that voice just gave me hope. Hope that things could change. And little by little, over time, they did. There is a Messiah who delivers, who rescues, who comes to us. God does care. He cares so much that he enters into the mess of this world. He is right here with us. 
Jesus comes to each of us and says, will you place your hope in me? Will you trust me even when things don't make sense? And then finally, we can have hope for the future. Because the resurrection power of Jesus changes the future when we trust in him. Um, Sam asked me just to share a few stories of you of, of St. Melitus. When we came to St. Melitus five years ago, um, the future was very uncertain for us as a church. Um, we were actually on the verge of closure. And there were conversations going on with the bishop and quite high-level stuff about whether the church actually had a future. When we arrived, we've got three kids, we doubled the children's work overnight. Because um, you feel for where we were. But over time, we have seen God at work resurrecting, resurrecting the church, as it were. We now have a toddler group that um, it's restarted now, but, but had no toddler group when we came. Um, pre-lockdown, we had 100 families come every week. We were happy to turn people away, and that's come back now. Now on Sunday morning... We have about 30 children as part of a wider church family of about 40 or 50 children. We've, over the last uh, year, even partnered with you guys and with St. Paul's on holiday clubs and seen uh, light parties and seen the church full of hundreds of children running around, hearing the good news of Jesus. But we've seen stories of individual change in children's lives. In family's life, one family whose the mum had um, lost two friends really close together, didn't know where to turn, and her little daughter, who was about four or five at the end, said, why don't we go to church, mummy? They rocked up at St. Monitus one day, that was about four years ago. Just two weeks ago, they came to see me and said, we all, we all want to get baptised. How do we do that? It's resurrection life. We've seen growth in our congregation. When we first came, there was about 30 people on a Sunday. Easter Sunday, we had 120 people in the church, which I know, if, you know, compared to you guys, is just small. But, but for us, that's resurrection life. That's Jesus at work. We have stories of people who walk, have walked in off the street, just sensing that they need to go into this building. It's not the most attractive building in the world, if I'm honest. But there was something going on in there that they were like, I need to go in there. Finding faith restored that they've lost since they were at uni. As I said earlier, we've seen new ministries emerge. When it first started a few years ago, um, Ian Fubank was based out of St. Lytus, along with other churches working together. Um, through the pandemic, we were able to serve everything out of St. Lytus. It was pretty crazy at times. But serving the lost and the least has been part of our DNA, like yours, for a long time. So now twice a week, on a Wednesday and Friday, we have people coming into the church. Um, and we partner with different organizations, with, with the Trustful Trust, who run the food bank, with Crosslight and the Debt Advice and CAP and so on. And I do a communion on Wednesday mornings, and I sit, sit I, I watch the church fill up with people. And it's heartbreaking at one level. But another level... People are coming in, they're getting fed, hopefully going on the path to life's turning around. I could tell you many more, but we're running out of time. So, 
Let me finish with this. Friends, where's your hope today? Who are you placing it in? I want to invite you to turn your eyes to Jesus. And you will find hope based on what he has done. A hope that you can know in the present. And hope that will shape your future, the future of this church, of this community. And you know, unlike my Commodore 64 with its tape player, when you never quite knew whether those hopes would be fulfilled or not, he will never let you down. No matter how deep the depression, how painful the relationship breakdown, no matter how difficult the task ahead, how big the fears about the future, you can have hope. Because there is a light that no darkness can extinguish. It's the light of Jesus. So I wonder if I can invite you to stand. And I, I don't really know what your tradition is here, but uh, at St. Malitis, one of the prayers that we pray regularly is one of the oldest prayers of the church. The first Christians prayed it. It's three words. Anyone can pray this. It's come Holy Spirit. So I just want to invite you, maybe you might find it helpful just to close your eyes and to pray that prayer with me. And what we're doing is inviting the Spirit of the resurrected Lord Jesus to make himself known. So come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here. We welcome you afresh into our hearts, into our lives. We say that we need you. Oh, how we need you. we're going to respond in song as we pray this prayer inviting the spirit there's just a few things I think in particular that the Lord might want to do with us this morning so I'm going to share some of those and then perhaps maybe if you'd like to come forward and respond and be prayed for I and others would love to do that but I just wonder whether some there are some people here this morning who you've never placed your hope in Jesus never place your hope in Jesus. And you know, Jesus' arms are open wide. He says, come to me. Come to me. And even this morning, you might want to do that. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you about what that might be. Maybe come and talk to me at the end. But it may be you've done that a hundred times in your life, but actually you feel this morning, you want to do that again. Place your hope in Jesus. So let me lead us in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Lord, I know that I don't always get it right. But I also know that I need your help. So this morning, I want to place my hope in you. Come into my life. Come and restore 